Oklahoma softball finally drops one. They're 38 and one. We'll also talk about what DeMarco Murray had to say about his running back room. We got a seven round mock draft for all 32 teams. But where did Dane Brugler of the Athletics send your favorite Oklahoma Sooners? We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Sooners Nation? Hope you had a great weekend and welcome to Locked On Sooners. Thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can also read my work covering the Oklahoma Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. And joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer of 94.7 The Ref in Norman, 1400 Sports Talk as well. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. Josh, how was your weekend, man? John, it was a fantastic weekend, save for obviously uh, not the result we wanted in Oklahoma softball. But for me personally, had a, had a really fine weekend. How are you, my friend? Yeah, yeah. Another great weekend uh, for the Williams family. Busy Easter weekend. Hope you and your families had a great time if you observe and celebrate. Um, if not, I hope you had a great weekend anyway. So, uh, Josh, yeah, softball started off great. We talked about it on our last show. Uh, two really strong wins over Texas, 3 nothing on the Thursday. Uh, in the Thursday edition, and then a 9-1 run rule win on Friday night. Then on Saturday, uh, Haley uh, Dolcini or Dolcini, um, Dolcini uh, came back with another strong effort against the Oklahoma Sooners uh, in the circle for Texas, and just absolutely dominated the Sooners. They she had them um, in no hit danger uh, through six innings, and it wasn't until the seventh that Oklahoma was able to break through. But a 4-2 loss for the the Oklahoma Sooners against Texas, but they come away with the series win. And it's kind of like what we've talked about on, on several episodes this year where yes, they've been so dominant. They've been so good. The ups or the undefeated season is definitely within reason, but it was highly unlikely, right? Yeah. Now that obviously they've been handed a loss by uh, their arch rival in Texas, Feels like we can step away and say, okay, well, maybe that was a little bit of a long shot dream. Still feels like, ah, this thing just got away from this team. In the long run, I I know that there will be some folks that feel like, ah, at least they got it out of the way. Now now you don't have to deal with any of that postseason pressure of playing to try and be the, you know, first team to go undefeated in softball history. Maybe that was already weighing on this Oklahoma team a little bit. I mean, plenty of other, you know, twists and turns. It didn't feel like that for this Oklahoma softball team, but they got it out of the way. Congrats to Texas. It's a huge win for the Longhorns. You step away from it and you think about what it means for Texas. And we were sort of joking uh, on, you know, in in response to Thursday and Friday that, or, or maybe even ahead of this series, you and I talked about it a little bit that, you know, one win over Oklahoma was going to be a monumental achievement for Texas and it wound up playing out just like that. They didn't win the series versus Oklahoma, but they did get the one win versus the Sooners. And ultimately, you know, once we get down the road here a little bit, John, that that one win over OU, if OU continues to do what we expect Oklahoma to do, and I expect them to bounce back from this first setback uh, in, you know, outstanding fashion, that's going to be maybe the difference between Texas going on the road for a regional versus hosting it. 
Yeah, and, and even in the game that they lost on Thursday, they they played well. It's just Jordy Ball was able to get out of some of the jams that she was in late in the game against Texas on Saturday. Jordy Ball wasn't able to. And this team's kind of been playing with fire at times. You know, Jordy Ball's been fantastic, but she'll load the bases on you and then have to you know work out of a bases-loaded jam on Thursday night. She struck out the side to be able to do that. On Saturday, she wasn't as fortunate. I mean, she still goes six strong innings, has eight or nine strikeouts, still pitches a really solid game, doesn't really get the offensive performance that the Oklahoma Sooners needed to have on a day like that. But, yeah, I think you're right. This is still a team that is going to be really, really good the rest of the year. And it could have been waiting on them. I mean, it's it's hard not to when people like us are talking about the potential of an undefeated season. It's You look at your record and you think, well, we're more than halfway through the season. Why not start to think about it? Why not us? And at some point, though, that that pressure does start to weigh. When we saw it with Jocelyn Allo, you know, as she approached the home run record and then sat on it for a bit, well, even though you know teams were walking her a bunch, she still was, you know, having a little bit of a, I don't know, about of a, a tight approach to her game. And maybe that was starting to affect the Sooners now as they looked at their, you know, NCAA all-time you know, record for a start to the season, uh, extended that up to 38-0. And yeah, I mean, the, the pressure is the pressure and, you know, players can talk about, you know, all the things they have to do to try to avoid that, but it's there. And, and you know, you never know how to really factor that into how that impacts a game, but it's there. It's real. It's a thing. You you can't help but think about it. If you're human, you got to look, you see your record, you know what your record is, you know how well you've played. It's just human nature to just have it come across your mind. And if anything, it just makes you tight. But that's not to take anything away from Texas. Their pitching was great uh, in two of the three games and really pushed Oklahoma. And like you said, I think that one win will help uh, will help Texas kind of bump up in the rankings. Even though they lost the series, they were good in two of the three games. Uh, it just didn't work out for them on Thursday night. But I, I'm like you. I think Oklahoma bounces back. They probably play a little bit more free and a little bit more loose moving forward. You know, They're going to have a tough you know conference schedule. And when they get to the NCAA championships, it'll be tough as well. But the, the thing that really stuck out to me from this, this series altogether, though, was the first three hitters. You know, Tiara Jennings, Jocelyn Allo, and uh, Grace Lyons did not have a great performance in the, the series against Texas. They were three for 28 um, over the weekend, which if you're going to go into any series, you need your best three hitters to hit better than that. Um, I don't think they had an extra base hit they were getting a lot of their scoring from the back half of the lineup. Even in the run rule win, they didn't get much from the top half of the top of the order. And so they've got to be a little bit better on that front. I hope Troutwine, you know, we talked about her on, on Friday. I think we're going to have to start seeing a little bit more of her. I mean, Jordy Ball has been great. She's obviously a dominant pitcher, but again, she's starting to put herself in, in a, put herself in a few more jams than we'd like to see. Um, at some point, do we start seeing Hope get more of these these outings and big games at big moments? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, it's a fair question. I mean, you feel that way, obviously, coming off a situation where Jordy Ball gets hit a little bit and you lose your first game of the season. That that has to enter your mind, especially if, you know, at any point over the next couple of weeks you see a similar result. I got a pretty good inclination that Jordy Ball will respond to this like the rest of Oklahoma will respond to it. I mean, you could single it out and, you know, look kind of specifically at the pitching, but 
You nailed it in talking about what the heart of Oklahoma's batting order really didn't get accomplished in this series versus Texas. And, you know, I think anytime Oklahoma gets held down offensively the way they did in this Saturday game and, and just throughout the majority of it, they're going to leave that game upset. That, that's going to stay with them. And they're talented enough. We know that. I still think Oklahoma, I still think Oklahoma's the head and shoulders favorite to repeat as the national champion. I still think, you know, obviously that's the main goal for Oklahoma. So the fact that you lost one game, it stinks. It sucks that it came against Texas. You do have to tip your cap to Texas. And, you know, all of those ancillary goals, or those extra goals you could think about, you were right there with an earshot of the all-time wins mark that Arizona was sort of just right there out in front of you. Now it's time to forget about that, make the main thing the main thing again, and that's first up winning the Big 12 Conference, winning the Big 12 Tournament, and then obviously figuring out what you have to do to position yourself again to repeat as the national champion. And Oklahoma's going to go on the road to face the University of North Texas, Hope Troutwine's former team, uh, where she transferred from last year. And then they've got a weekend series coming up starting Friday against Iowa State to continue that pursuit of the Big 12 championship. Coming up next, we'll talk about what DeMarco Murray – well, first we'll hear what DeMarco Murray had to say about his running back room. We'll talk about it as well. And then we got Dane Brugler's seven-round mock draft in the third segment. But first, I want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever. It's easy to eat, 100% covered in chocolate, tastes great, and it's great for you. Most bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. It's a healthy protein bar. It's great for you, but it tastes just like a candy bar. It's fantastic. I eat one just about every single day. My favorite is the peanut butter brownie. It always hits home every single time. I love it for breakfast. And it's also just a good afternoon snack. If I'm getting a a sweets craving, love to get me a peanut butter brownie because I love peanut butter and chocolate together, and it's always a great option for me. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your next order over at Built.com using promo code LOCKED15. And the NFL draft is now just... 10 days away. If you're listening to this on Monday, we're recording on Sunday night. It's 11 days away for you. April 28th is the NFL draft. And starting on the 28th, tune into Locked On NFL Drafts live coverage of the 2022 NFL draft with all three days of real-time analysis from our extensive lineup of experts and insiders. And for those of you dying to know who your team will take, catch Odyssey and Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special hosted by Brian Peacock and former scout Matt Williamson of the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show all week leading up to the first pick. That's the Locked On NFL Draft live show and Odyssey NFL Mock Draft. You can catch it on your podcast feeds or on your YouTube feeds wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Josh, DeMarco Murray had things to say last week when meeting with the media, so let's hear some of those things. I think from a mental standpoint, it was very tough. Um, And, you know, with him, he's a great kid, and he always does the right thing and, you know, kind of fell into a you know, a whole sort of speak, but um, he handled it the right way. Um, he stayed in contact with us, stayed in contact with the team, practiced, didn't miss a practice. Um, obviously, was extremely disappointed. Um, I think both sides were, but, you know, um, he handled it like a man. And, you know, when his opportunity came, I think he took advantage over it. But he, he's a guy that we're looking forward to, you know, finally getting on the field and, and obviously doing some great things for us. So there DeMarco Murray is talking about uh, sophomore Junior running back Marcus Major. I can't remember if he's a sophomore or junior. But Marcus Major, who was going into the last season kind of third on the depth chart behind Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. 
but ran into some academic ineligibility in August before the season started. Kept him out for pretty much all of the season. Was available for a few games and but saw li- limited action, limited touch work. Uh, what did you have to? What, what did you think about what Demarco had to say about Marcus Major there? I just get the impression anytime we hear or have heard Demarco Murray talk since the Valero Alamo Bowl, and maybe I'm mixing up a little bit. Maybe we even heard some of this leading up to the Valero Alamo Bowl from Demarco Murray that he just seems to be really, really high on Marcus Major. I'll continue to pump the brakes just a little bit with Marcus Major and say, okay, we, we've seen some very positive things in spurts, but I, I still in similar. I feel this similar way about Eric Gray that I, I've seen some some nice things from Eric Gray last season. I saw some average things as well. So I need to see that consistency before I'm really over the moon with either. But I definitely get the impression that Demarco Murray really likes what he has in Marcus Major. Yeah, and I, I concur. I think what we've seen from him in limited action has been solid and enough to warrant seeing more of. And I really hope that he does actually get an extended run this season, you know, where it's like eight to 12 touches a game, something of that ilk, because we'll, we'll hear about another running back here in a second. But like you mentioned, Eric Gray, it seems like Eric Gray is kind of the leader in the clubhouse right now for the most touches in the running back room. But I think Marcus Major is going to be right there. Uh, but let's hear what else DeMarco had to say on, uh, I think it was last Thursday when he met with the media. It's great. Um, we got to use it as a weapon, and um, that's what we've been able to do. Obviously, it's new to a lot of people, but um, with what Levy has done in the past, and and us being able to get on the field fine, finally, um, it's been it's been a, a huge advantage for us. So we got to obviously continue to build practices, stack practices on top of good practices. Um, but our guys are handling it well. You know, extremely well conditioned. Obviously, started with the offseason program, which Coach Smith and his and his staff, and um, but we've handled it the right way. Those guys are working hard, and um, we know we got to use it as our advantage. And that's kind of been a big topic of discussion this offseason is Jeff Levy's offense and tempo. So Levy's offenses, while at UCF and Ole Miss, regularly finished in the top five in plays run per game. Uh, didn't have a season that was less than 70 run plays run per game. For comparison, last year Oklahoma was in the 40s. Uh, nationally in plays run per game so a stark difference um, by about maybe like five to ten plays a game but the the difference is going to be tempo Jeff Levy wants to go fast play fast similar to some of the up-tempo offenses we saw run in the 2000-2010s where they're going to get up and line up and play quick Um, what's your takeaway from what DeMarco had to say there about the offense and then also what work they did in the offseason workout program with Schmitty well, obviously, you know, if, if you're talking about, which Oklahoma's definitely talking about because that's, that's the MO of a Jeff Levy offense is they're going to snap plays quickly and at a high rate, and they want to get as many plays in as possible and run some tempo. So if that's going to be the case and that's going to be a defining feature of your football team, well, then you better damn well be the best con- conditioned team that you play, right? Uh, or or uh, not not that you play, but out of all the teams that you're playing, you better be better conditioned than them. So when you think about what the strength conditioning program at Oklahoma and Schmitty and just the entirety of that functioning arm of Oklahoma, it, it plays a big role, not just for the running backs, but, you know, offensively, defensively, because, hey, it, it's great in theory to go quick, but the one 
negative that a lot of people will always point out or will say, well, what if, right? Okay, well, if you, you know, run quick and you go three and out, all of a sudden you got a defense that was just on the football field too. So as positive as Tippo could be offensively or just, you know, overall for your football team, there could be, of course, like most things in football, if it's not executed properly, there could certainly be some drawbacks as well. So, I mean, obviously the conditioning portion of it's huge for Oklahoma. I'm excited to see OU institute a little bit more tempo. I think they have the playmakers and just thinking about what Oklahoma typically offensively has been like over the last quarter century, Oklahoma should be confident to run tempo if it wants to run tempo. Remember last year when things were kind of starting to go south early in the season for Spencer Rattler and Oklahoma offensively, that was, whether it was right or wrong, that was a popular thought from the fan base was, well, why why do they take so long getting up to get a play signaled in or to snap the football? Why don't they try to run a little bit of tempo? And OU, at least last season, and really for the bulk of the tenure of Lincoln Riley, didn't really take that approach. So it's going to be exciting, I think, to see OU institute that a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's like we see in basketball or hockey where you, you're trying to dictate the pace of play. And I think that's what I like about it is it's kind of the the – offense's version of being an aggressive defense you know like the 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 defense that wants to dictate the style of play is going to come at you they're not going to sit back in coverage they're going to blitz players they're going to try and put pressure on you that's kind of the same thing with the offense the offense is not going to sit back and and wait for you to make a mistake they're going to attack and I, I think that's what I like about it is it it seems to fit the vision of Brent Venable's you know idea of what he wants his team to look like on both sides of the ball. We're going to attack on defense. We're going to attack on offense. We're going to make you play our style of play, make you play our way. I think you bring up a great point that it's only as effective as your offense is effective. If you're not good offensively, it's not a good idea because, again, you're giving the ball back to the opposing team pretty quickly. And even if you're a good defensive team, it wears you down a little bit. But I do like the idea that it's going to create a, a style that dictates to the opposition what's going to happen. You're not going to get the sub when you want to sub. You're not going to necessarily get the play call in that you want to get in. Teams are going to have to be more vanilla in their alignments pre-snap because they don't, they're not going to have the time to show one thing and shift into something else before Dylan Gabriel snaps the ball. And so I like some of that in that it does help the quarterback out a little bit because teams aren't going to be able to move around a ton. Now, the smart ones are going to be able to show something pre-snap and then change it post-snap but you're going to be hard pressed to find many college players that are going to be able to do that on the fly. And so I, I like the idea of, of going tempo and dictating what the defense is going to be able to do because of how fast you're running your offense. All right, let's dig into the last thing that DeMarco Murray had to say here. They look good. They look really good. Um, just, just the, the most important thing that I'm, I'm happy about is just, they show up every single day to work hard, show up every day to learn. Um, and then just the physical side of things at that position, you got to be extremely physical. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, you know, guys got strong in the offseason and, and um, we're, we're handling it the right way. And, and guys are competing at a high level. You know, Eric Gray's done an unbelievable job every single day. Um, and, and so is Javante. Javante's come along every single day for a young guy. You want him to continue to go that way and you know he hadn't been hadn't been stagnant at all and obviously we're throwing a bunch at him and he should still be in high school but he's handling it the right way but um the, the whole group itself collectively I'm extremely impressed 
So just a general overview of what the running back room looks like for Oklahoma, according to DeMarco Murray right now. What's your thoughts on what he had to say there? I like that he's excited about what he sees from Javante Barnes. And really probably that's what jumped out the most to me is that listening to DeMarco Murray, that signals to me DeMarco early here telling us, hey, here's your sign. Take the clue. Here's your hint. Javante Barnes is seriously in the mix to to get touches and to be a legitimate factor in this backfield for Oklahoma. You know, tough to gauge on the outside what all, in terms of the offensive playbook, they're throwing at these guys right now throughout the spring. I mean, it seems like a decent portion. You've got a whole new coaching staff for the most part uh, across the board, offensively, defensively. I know that, you know, on the offensive side of the football, you do have quite a few holdovers and talented assistant coaches that are still on staff here. But for all intents and purposes with Jeff Levy now as your offensive coordinator, it's a vastly different offense, which means probably a lot of the language of the offense is a complete overhaul. Some of the uh, just play calls themselves, the tempo element of it, that's an overhaul for Oklahoma offensively. So if DeMarco's telling me that, you know, like Eric Gray, okay. I I have listened to Eric Gray speak enough since he arrived at Oklahoma, I've got no problems with, you know, Eric Gray's ability to comprehend an offense or to pick this call or that call up. That's never going to be a problem with Eric Gray. But you worry about that a little bit with guys that just got on campus. And DeMarco's telling me, no, that's not a problem with Javante Barnes. Yeah, he's handling everything that they've thrown at him, and they're going to continue to add more to his plate. Probably what they're giving him right now is like a handful to a dozen, you know, schemes that, that they're wanting to run and are going to kind of create some packages and opportunities for him in games. And then they'll expand on that and they'll get him more and more involved in, in what they're trying to do offensively. And yeah, I, I think we should expect to see him at minimum for, you know, 10 plays a game in the fall, especially when they play teams like UTEP and Kent state. Uh, I think we'll see quite a bit of Javante bars in, in those games. But then as the season goes along, I think we'll probably start seeing that, that snap count that's like 10 to 15 plays a game. Maybe that's, you know, eight to 12 touches a game where they get him involved in the offense by giving him the rock. And I think that's going to bode well for your, your running back room. If you've got three guys, we just talked about tempo and how it can affect you. If you've got three guys that you can run out there and keep fresh and keep, um, you know, on the field and you can get something out of them. I think that's going to bode well for you. You don't have a guy like Kennedy Brooks. You don't have a guy like, uh, DeMarco Murray, you know, a guy that you can feel really, really good about handing the ball to 25 to 30 times a game and and run it and just going. With the three that you have, though, in Eric Gray, Marcus Major, and Javante Barnes, if you divide 30 touches up between those three guys, I feel pretty good about it, especially if you're going to throw the ball to Eric Gray, you know, four or five times a game, which I think they need to make sure they're doing that um, because he's just too dynamic in the open field when he's got the ball in his hand. So they got to get him in space with that. And I think the same can be said for Marcus Major. I mean, he's he's had big plays in the passing game in both bowl games against Florida at the end of 2020 and then against uh, Oregon at the end of 2021. So I think that can be an effective way that he can be involved. And the same for Javante Barnes. That's all we hear about him is that he's a, he's a dual-threat guy that's going to make big plays in both the run and passing game. And so hopefully they figure out a way to get all three of those guys involved because I think it'll benefit them more, especially if they're running 70, 75, 77 plays a game you're going to need three, all three of those guys to be involved in your offense to, to be effective and to 
have sustainability for those guys over the course of the season. So definitely, I, I like all that. Definitely early. It feels that way for Oklahoma. I certainly wouldn't mind whether it's Eric Gray or Marcus Major or Javante Barnes. And don't forget Gavin Sachuk, a track star. I know he's not here yet, but you start talking about guys that can catch a pass out of the backfield and then boom, one cut gone. Gavin Sachuk is definitely going to fit into that portfolio as well. All, you know, any of those four guys, I don't mind if one of them takes the thing and runs away with it because quite frankly, typically I feel a little bit better about an offense when you do have a Kennedy Brooks, when you do have a Ramondre Stevenson, or, you know, obviously, you know, running back by committee, if you want to call running, call it running back by committee when it was Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. Of course, that worked out just fine for Oklahoma. I'm not saying it couldn't. I'm just saying it makes me feel good when you do have one guy that you feel like, okay, if we need to, he can go carry it 25 times in one game. Yeah, I, I like I like the idea of that too. You got a guy that you can you can hand the ball to, but I like that they don't have to have that. You know, they don't have to force somebody into that role if they're not capable of carrying it. It's good to have guys that have defined roles. Like if you need a closer, I'm I'm hoping that they're gonna give Marcus Major the ball. Like, hey, we need to pick up a first down on this series to close out the game. Marcus Major is my guy that's going to come in and run with energy and physicality, and he's going to make sure that that happens. So I, I like I like this running back room. It's unproven. We've got to see it on the field, but I like the potential that they've got. Uh, and so we'll just see where it goes. Coming up next, we're going to finally get into Dane Brugler's mock draft. We teased it on our show last week. Uh, didn't have enough time for it, but we're going to get into it today because we had seven Oklahoma Sooners drafted in his uh, 2022 seven-round mock draft. We'll talk about it. After I talk to you about Bet Online, which is your number one source for all your betting needs, find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball season. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, Josh, let's get into Dane Brugler. So if you're not familiar with Dane Brugler, he is one of the draft aficionados that I've followed now for years. In my time covering the Dallas Cowboys, he's just always somebody that I look to. He creates a NFL draft um, guide that's 400 pages long that many in the media uh, like to use and, and follow uh, as they're going through the draft. Over at the athletic, he's over at the Athletic. He used to work for DallasCowboys.com on their draft show, but just a, a well versed draft guy and goes deep i mean a lot of the mock drafts that we see from like the mel kuypers and the todd mcshays those guys are great at what they do but they're not showing us a lot they're showing us two rounds a lot of times three at the most well dane brugler he got he's got your seven rounds covered he's got 400 players covered he gets deep on each of these guys in his draft guide over at the athletic so they're not a sponsor at the show but i've been an athletic subscriber for five six years and he's a big reason why I stay an athletic subscriber, so go check it out. But let's get into where Oklahoma Sooners landed. Again, we talked about seven Oklahoma Sooners that were drafted of the 12 draft declarations. First one, Josh has not seen this yet, so he's going to be reacting to this spontaneously on the, on the fly. So here we go. First off, at number 48, we have Perrion Winfrey to the Chicago Bears. Josh, what are your thoughts on that landing spot for Perrion Winfrey? I think it'd be a good spot for him because Chicago typically, historically, uh, and certainly recently, for the most part, has played pretty good defense. So I like that that spot for him. 
Uh, I'm not crazy about necessarily the quarterback play per se for Chicago. We'll see if that changes with uh, Justin Fields moving forward. Obviously he needs to take a big step in a positive direction for that to be the case. And so far the early returns have me kind of going, eh, I don't know just yet, yeah. but uh, you know, I, I do think that Perry on Winfrey to me is absolutely a second rounder at worst. And now the closer we get, it kind of feels like first round would really be a surprise, but I think he's safely a second rounder. And I do, I do like the Chicago fit for him. Yeah. For me, I just thought how perfect is it for a guy who's as into like horror films um, as he is to go to a place where they nicknamed their defense, the monsters of the midway. I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. Uh, 48 seems about right where he's just kind of falling into the top 50. I think, um, I, you know, you never know what's going to happen at the end of the first round. You know, a team might decide they want to trade into it to get that fifth round rookie option um, or that, sorry, that fifth year, fifth year rookie option um, that they can get by drafting a first rounder. And somebody might say, Hey, you know what? We want to get into the pick 32 and make sure that we get a guy like Perry on Winfrey. I don't think they'd have to do that, but you just never know. Like if you want to have a fifth year option on a defensive tackle in particular, because it's a position that has a hard time transitioning to the NFL. It usually takes a, a year or two uh, for those guys to really get comfortable playing on the interior because it's just a different game. Uh, but I, I love the fit for Perry on Winfrey. I think that that'd, that'd be solid. Another, you know, former Oklahoma, Tommy Harris went to, to Chicago and had a decent career there as well. Uh, so let's get on to the next one at number 58. We got Nick Bonito going to the Atlanta Falcons. Josh, what are your thoughts there? Team that is on the rebuild in Atlanta. I, I Again, Nick Bonito is seeming more and more like he has a good chance to be a second-round pick. This is sort of the range that I expect for Nick Bonito. Uh, not quite as high as Perion Winfrey because Nick Bonito is regarded a little bit as – strictly a pass rush specialist. There's some that see the potential to move him uh, into the outside linebacker role. I kind of just personally view Nick Benito as more of a defensive end pass rush, pass rush specialist, at least to start. I'm not crazy about Atlanta uh, rebuilding team, you know, that, that portion of the deal for Nick Benito, but I do think Dane Brugler is kind of right about in the range where Nick Benito will be selected. Yeah, end of the second round, early third round is probably where he lands. I, I don't mind it. I think that's a an interesting place for him. Like you said, they're on the on the rebuild. They're they're trying to build things back up. Just traded Matt Ryan, and so it's a team that's in a in a weird spot. But hopefully, that means he's going to get some playing time because one of the things I feel like has been a hindrance a little bit to maybe the Alex Grinch defense or to Oklahoma pass rushers is. They're just not getting a lot of opportunities to get on the field in recent years. You look at like Oboe Okoronkwo with the Los Angeles Rams, you know, drafted there, got a little bit of playing time, but kind of fell into a rotational role. Now he goes to Houston in his second contract. Ronnie Perkins goes to New England, didn't really see the field a ton uh, for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Um, so it, it just it just feels like the Oklahoma undersized edge rusher just kind of gets pigeonholed into this rotational role. I'm hoping that getting getting Nick Benito on the field led him just kind of go through the growing pains of a rookie season in the NFL and just see what happens. Like let him develop, actually let him do some things, be let him be a three down uh, pass rusher because it doesn't hurt. I mean, you're not going to win the NFC South. Tom Brady came back. You're not winning the NFC South this year. So just let Nick Benito get out there, you know, takes, take his bumps, take his bruises, learn at the NFL level 
and adjust and get better because he's going to because that's what everything he did at Oklahoma is he just got better year after year. Next one, Brian Osamoa to my man Josh's Kansas City Chiefs. Now they they lost Alan, uh, Anthony Hitchens um, to free agency. They lost Tyron Matthew. Brian Osamoa could kind of help fill that style of role that both those guys played. Yeah, Kansas City's got a couple of really nice young linebackers. Uh, Nick Bolton and I'm blanking on the the other linebacker that Kansas City has that's a young guy. Willie Gay, Willie Gay from Mississippi State. Those two guys, really, really talented. But obviously, you need another guy in the mix now, minus Anthony Hitchens. I would love it. Greedily, as a Chiefs fan and as a Oklahoma Sooner alum, come on down, Brian Osimo. I'd love it. And they could use a little bit of linebacker help. It would be in this type of range and maybe even later in the draft for Kansas City for them to potentially address linebacker. They've got a little bit heftier need in the defensive backfield, and actually Kansas City could use another defensive lineman or two themselves. But uh, look, any scenario that has Osamoa going to Kansas City, count me in, baby. Yeah, I like the fit for him there, especially if they're looking at using him in a – you know, similar role to Tyron Matthew. I know Matthew is a, a safety by trade, but he's a box player. Like he's not your traditional safety. That's going to play the deep third, you know, play quarters or play cover two. He's a guy that really thrives playing in the box and playing in the short area of the field and coverage. And I think Brian Osimo could do that. Like, I think he could play in a similar style role where he's there for his run defense and to play, you know, coverage on tight ends. And if you, I mean, if you're asking Tyron Matthew to play, you know, cover two, too high safety. You're not really asking him to do the things that he does best. The same would be, you know, said could be said for Brian Osamoa. I, I think it's an interesting fit. Again, you have to think outside the box a little bit because he's not a safety and you're not, it's not a one-to-one, you know, hole fill. But I think you could use him to do some of the same things that Matthew did. All right, number 140 to the Green Bay Packers. Marquise Hayes, guard, Oklahoma Sooners. Now, this is one that's interesting to me. Um, I, I joked over on Sooners Wire. I said, well, you wouldn't have to you know, worry about being called for holding because uh, Green Bay offensive line may never get called for holding. Uh, he, he factors in probably as a rotational guard uh, for them. You know, they've got a really good player in John Runyon at left guard. Royce Newman is solid uh, over at right guard. Uh, was drafted just last year in the fourth round. Uh, so he could factor into a competition uh, for a guard spot, uh, but might just sit just sit as a rotational player on the interior offensive line. And look, offensive guard, offensive tackle obviously is a a premium in the National Football League, but really just anywhere across the offensive line if you're looking at contenders. And I I think a lot lot about how Kansas City a couple of years ago lost some offensive linemen throughout that playoff run, then got blown out by Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. And then I think about Cincinnati – this past season where, okay, they got to the Super Bowl, but Joe Burrow was constantly under duress. Uh, what, they set the NFL postseason record for the most sacks and advancing as far as they did, but ultimately that wound up being how they lost the Super Bowl. Couldn't protect the, the, the quarterback on the final play. So any contender would say, you know what, if we have a chance to beef up our offensive line a little bit, then uh, you, you would love to do that. And certainly Green Bay, as long as they have Aaron Rodgers, is every bit a contender, and Marquis Hayes would help them out. Yeah, and he definitely adds some beef. He's a big dude, a lot of size, and a, and a mean streak. I think that's one thing that has stood out to kind of draft analysts a, across the sports world is they like what he shows th- 
throughout the play. Like he plays through the whistle. And I think that's that something that resonates. And I, I could see him going a little bit higher than this. You know, this is well into the the fourth round. I could see him going, you know, top of the fourth, maybe even in the third. Well, actually, 140 might even be in the fifth round. I didn't look at that. Sorry about that. Um, number 144 to the Carolina Panthers, Isaiah Thomas. Now, again, this is an interesting fit. Uh, he'll factor in as a, a rotational player to start. And they've got Brian Burns at left defensive end, uh, Yetter Gross Matos at right defensive end, and then they spent their first round pick in 2020 on Derek Brown. Um, that's a solid defensive front, and I, I kind of like the fit a little bit. It allows him to, to learn the NFL level, but I think he can be an impact player in year one because of his ability to play the run. Yeah, he, he is good against the run, and then obviously I think he's a pretty talented pass rusher as well. I'm surprised that Isaiah Thomas, just throughout all of this draft process, doesn't seem like he's as highly regarded as maybe I would have thought that Isaiah Thomas would be. I'm sort of wishy-washy, too, on the whole he's got a chance to sit behind a couple of guys and learn. That that's you know that part's good, but it also scares you a little bit in the sense that, you know, as opposed to what we were talking about with Nick Benito, I mean, you got a chance to really both get buried on the depth chart and, you know, then get sort of relegated to that potential rotational role or maybe not even that. He kind of reminds me a little bit of a guy like Dorrance Armstrong coming out of Kansas a few years back with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, he he played some rotational snaps at defensive end, but didn't really have a ton of production his first couple of years. Started to kind of put, you know, put some things together last year, got some sacks. And then in 2021, sorry, I say last year as in 2020, but last year in 2021, then he had five and a half sacks for the Cowboys because he, you know, had this progression. And looks like to be, again, a, a solid part of their defensive end rotation. I could see something similar for Isaiah Thomas, mostly because, you know, he's the long type of defensive end, kind of the long and strong type, not the, the quick and twitchy type. Um, and I think that's where teams have trouble uh, evaluating these kind of players is, okay, we're not sure, like, how athletic is he? Is he going to be able to beat the athletic offensive tackles? We know he's got good strength, good length. That'll bode well for him, but is the athleticism going to translate um, or the lack of at times, uh, I think might be the knock against Isaiah Thomas and a bit of his age. Like he's an older player and that does factor into draft analysts and, and where they view players. But I, I kind of, I'm kind of with you. I, I would see him going more in the top, you know, three rounds just because he was a productive player for Oklahoma the last couple of years one of their better, you know, defensive players. You know, if we look at Nick Bonito as the best defensive player that they've had, Isaiah Thomas was probably the second best defensive player they've had over the last two seasons. So it is a bit of a surprise to me that he's not getting as much love. And some of it might just be that, you know, teams are looking so much at Nick Bonito and Perrion Winfrey and Brian Osamoa that they're sleeping on Isaiah Thomas a little bit. And at least the draft analyst's world is. Um, we'll see if NFL teams are because there's, there, there's not, there could always be a disparity in the way that the NFL views a player versus the way that scouts do it. It happens every single year. Um, and then number 185 to the Buffalo Bills, a guy that just got a visit, a pre-draft visit with the Detroit Lions. This is Delarin Turner Yell going to Buffalo. Um, an interesting fit there. They've got two highly regarded safeties in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. Uh, so he's not going to be going there looking to start. But like we talked about with you know, a guy like uh, Brian Osamoa, you could fit him into a particular role and he can be an effective player for you year one. When I spoke with Deller and Turner Yell for some articles we did over at Sooners Wire, 
you know, he, he says, he kind of told me that he's a box safety and that's where he can really thrive. I mean, he can be effective in coverage too, but I think you put him down there as your third safety in the box and you can get a really good player if he can stay healthy. And I, I kind of like the fit because again, you're not expecting him to go out there day one and play, you know, 60 snaps a game for a contender, but you can get him involved in the defense in a particular role. I like it too, just from the sense that he's getting drafted in this mock draft. Yeah. I, wor- I yep. worried a little bit about Delaren Turner Yell having a chance to go undrafted and Buffalo would be a great spot in the sense that, uh, you know, the way they're positioned right now with Josh Allen and the pieces around them, they feel like they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender every year for the foreseeable future until something changes up there. And Delaire and Turner Yell would have a chance to factor right into their championship aspirations. Yeah, I like it myself. That's our guy over there. We, we hope big things for DTY. All right. The final Oklahoma Sooner who was selected in Dane Brugler's seven round 32 team NFL mock draft of the 2022 NFL draft was Gabe Burkich to the Cleveland Browns at number 202. Now, this one surprised me a little bit, not because necessarily I don't think he'll get drafted, but that he was the seventh player drafted. Like that, I, I felt like there could have been some other players that could have figured in there, but Gabe Burkich to the Cleveland Browns, what do you think about that? He goes to a place that is currently having some, some, uh, I don't know when to say drama, but issues uh, with a current Cleveland Browns quarterback, not, not from Baker Mayfield's standpoint, but uh, they just handled that whole thing with Baker pretty, pretty terribly, but uh, breakage to the Cleveland Browns. Cyber that saga wasn't, uh, yeah. wasn't necessarily super in Cleveland. Right. So that, yeah. that part, you know, bad juju there. They Cleveland doesn't deserve Gabe Burkage. Get out of here. No, that's right. Not yeah. Right you, can't, you, you don't get the mustache. Nah, man, not with the way you treated Baker Mayfield. So uh, so going undrafted in Dane Brugler's mock draft, you got Kennedy Brooks, Jeremiah Hall, Tyrese Robinson, and LaRon Stokes and Mike Woods. Any surprises there from you? Oh, Tyrese Robinson a little bit. The, the versatility, I think, could be attracted to, attractive to somebody in some late rounds. The others, no, n- not that much. Mike Woods, maybe, again, could be sixth, seventh round type draft selection. Somebody, you know, plug and play type guy. But I don't think probably most NFL teams view Mike Woods as somebody that's going to be a long-term solution at wide receiver. Yeah, I think the surprise for me was Kennedy Brooks a little bit. You know, 3,000 yards rushing, seven yards per carry in his Oklahoma career. Uh, I was working on a piece about uh, the top um, Oklahoma Sooners running backs in ESPN's top 100 and came across this stat that Kennedy Brooks is one of just two running backs in Oklahoma history to have 3,000 yards rushing and average seven yards per carry. The other guy was Billy Sims, um, pretty pretty good running back in his own right. So a little bit surprising to see Kennedy Brooks uh, go undrafted in this one. But again, I think it's it's one of those perceptions things. You know, People perceive him to not be a very athletic running back or very fast running back, but he's a guy that just kind of gets the job done. Um, and running back has been devalued in the NFL over the last several years, and so perhaps that's the case. But the good news for a guy like Kennedy Brooks is that he gets to choose where he gets where he wants to go, and he can choose a place that might offer him the opportunity to play more in his rookie season. And while going undrafted is not great because the guarantees aren't there, but it's good because you get a you get to choose where you want to go. 
And the other good thing that's happening right now is the the development of the USFL. The XFL is you know slated to launch again in 2023. And so there are going to be opportunities for these guys to continue playing football, continue to, to develop. I think of a guy like Mike Woods, who would be perfect for one of these developmental leagues, an opportunity to get him more playing time, more snaps, to where he can show more and then potentially get a, a spot in the NFL later on down the road. Yeah, no, I mean, he'd, he'd be the guy that, I mean, he'd be really, really talented in either the USFL or the XFL. I, I think Mike Woods can be a possession receiver in the National Football League. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a star receiver in the National Football League. But if, um, if my man Byron Pringle can carve out a role with the Kansas City Chiefs, there's no reason that Mike Woods can't carve out a role somewhere in the National Football League. And you're right. Kennedy Brooks, uh, that, that is the biggest oversight. And I got news for you. Kennedy Brooks is not going undrafted. Yeah, I would, it would be shocking for me. And again, I, I 100% respect what Dane Brugler puts together every single year. He has a lot of insight, not just from what he, the film that he watches, but just insight from the league as well. And so he's well in touch uh, with what's happening around the league. But again, I would be really, really surprised. Again, I didn't think you know the, the two defensive backs were going to get drafted last year, but they were. I didn't think Creed Humphrey would fall to the end of the second round, but he did. The NFL draft is great because of its unpredictability. It can also be frustrating because of its unpredictability. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thank you so much for tuning in or watching if you're checking us out on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And over on YouTube, let us know how you feel about the show. Give us a comment. 